Welcome, folks. Monday, Thanksgiving week. This is an exciting, exciting day for me because to my... Wait, hold on. I always get this wrong. You're over here. To my left, yeah, I got right here, we got... And he's not literally here. You're all the way up in Canada. Carl, thanks so much for coming on. It's a pleasure to be with you. I'm excited to, uh, to have this conversation. Yeah, me too. We have... Uh, off the record, we were talking about how much... How much material we got to cover in such little time. So, uh, yeah, like Billy Crone said, I'm a man of great faith when it comes to thinking if we're going to get through all of this stuff. Folks, thank you so much for coming. We are excited to have everybody on today. And as always, so, Carl, what I like to do is I always ask folks, I like to know uh, where they're from, where we got folks listening. We already have CC, who is a wonderful dedicated viewer from South Africa. So we got South Africa's in the house. Uh, let's see, we got Tennessee. Uh, we got Nebraska is here. Uh, we got North Carolina. So as they come in, we, we I'll, I'll call them out, but I'm excited. What do you think? Oh, that's over. awesome. And, yeah. and, you know, Nebraska. Hey, fantastic. I'm in Manitoba. I'm straight north of Nebraska. There you um, go. You know, it, it's, it's great plains farming country. And yeah, that's, that's what that's what I'm used to. So wait, do you do you work? I know you told me that you've got a little spread, but do you work out in the cold even when it snows? Yeah, man. Yeah, totally. I mean, wow. I mean, today it's beautiful. Today is like minus three or minus four Celsius, which is whatever that is, like twenty nine degrees in your in your temperature. Oh my, that's land. not bad. I mean, that's nice. That's that's almost <laughs> that's very doable. Very very doable. I mean, I was out there a couple of days ago. It was minus eleven or twelve. Ah, whatever. It get you know when it gets past <laughs> that minus fifteen to minus eighteen, below that, and when you got the wind and the high humidity. Yeah, that sucks. Man, when, it's minus I, when it's minus 30 or minus 40, I mean, minus 40, it's like, yeah, you just don't go outside. Minus 30, you can do it. You just layer and layer. Don't sweat. Don't get overheated. You, you, minus 30, you're talking like actually minus 20 even. It can be dangerous. So you just layer. You know how to do it. You let yourself cool off a little bit. You got to keep your body regulated if you're going to work in those kind of temperatures outside or even just go for a hike or a walk uh, or hopefully you don't have a vehicle stuck in a snow jet and have to walk a few miles. I got to tell you, I am laughing as you're talking because I'm a SoCal kid. <laughs> cold, cold for us is like the fifties. Oh, oh, yeah, that's, that's swimming temperature. Man. Yeah, no way. <laughs> the other day it hit like 55 and my wife and I were like, I'll, it's so f freezing. It's cold <laughs> over here. <laughs> Man, I can't Brother, hear. I, I've gone motorcycling right past the freezing point. And so, yeah, 55 is like, hey, that's okay. Just, oh, you know, man. A, you are a, a true a, man. A on. <laughs> you are a true manly man, I tell you. <laughs> oh, uh, just, boy. What uh, just, you know, anybody, hey, I'll tell me, tell, let me tell you this. Anybody living in the Northern Plains, they get it. Yeah. Anybody living in, in especially Western Canada, they get it. Anybody living in Northern Canada or up into Alaska, yeah. you get it. Yeah. You just, you learn to adapt. You learn to live with it. Um, and if you've grown up in it, it's, you don't even question it. This is what you do. Yeah. Yeah. See, I didn't. I came from, you know, Argentina, which is Buenos Aires mm. is, it's nice weather. It gets cold in the winter, but not that cold. And then we came to here mm -hmm. to California. I've grown up here in Cali. So, 
Um, just to let you know, we got some some of your neighbors. We got, uh, let's see, Suzanne is from Canada. We got Hi from Waterloo, Ontario, Canada. Ah, so, nice. And I know Veronica Spence-Lock, she is Canadian. So we got some Canadians in the house, San Diego, Indiana, Lynchburg, Virginia. I'm telling you, all over. We've got all overs in the house. So we got, let's see, Kat said it got down to 18 degrees at night in Ohio recently. And, uh, okay, hey. I have to make a shout out. That's okay. My brother, yeah. Timothy Gaines, for those of you guys that don't know, amazing bass player. He was a bass player for Striper, the, the band Striper. And so, and Brandy, his wife, uh, lovely bride, uh, they're in the house. So I wanted to just say hi to everybody. Veronica Locke. What is up, family? Um, Carl, anything you want to say to anybody out there? Hey, you know, I'm just glad that they're involved in listening to our conversation. This yeah. is fantastic. And I'm, I have to apologize off the bat. I know that the that the feed that's coming through right now, my end looks a little bit blurred. Uh, I am on uh, You're good. High, high speed internet, which means like <laughs> I think it's four up and 0.25 down or something crazy. So <laughs> it's the cold, it's the cold weather. See, cause your internet has got to be, no, it, it's from Southern California. <laughs> no, it, it's our sucky infrastructure. We'll just be honest about it. <laughs> Very cool. So, Hey, listen, folks, I'm um, not to switch gears here real quick, but I'm going to, um, I want to just say something before we get diving in because we really need to. Um, so, there are a lot of people that write in here, and I, you guys are church family to me too. So everybody out there listening, church family, I want us to make sure that we don't forget to lift up our brothers and sisters, not just because of the winter that's coming, as I mentioned last time, and there's a lot of brothers and sisters that can't afford the heating bill, and they're trying to figure out ways to stay warm. But on the flip side of that, there are folks who are alone. There are no good churches. There's no... Um, there's no fellowship for them, and I get I get a good handful of those that write in, and they express their feelings of of being alone. And so I want to tell everybody that you're not alone. We're here together. This is why I do these things. This is church for us per se, where we get to come together and we get to fellowship everybody together. And that's one thing I want to encourage everybody on on this live stream and on the flip side of the live stream to make sure you you lift up your brothers and sisters in Christ that are going through a hard time whether it would be financially physically or even emotionally because that could really wear on you it could really really wear on you so um, if you guys don't mind I want to just take a minute I want to pray for everybody on there that might be feeling that way and pray for the Lord's peace to cover them so let's go to the Lord in prayer shall we Father God, we can't thank you enough once again for technology. Lord, you you gave uh, you gave us the ability to be able to come up with these things, and I, it it amazes me that we could use it as we're doing it now. It transcends distances. Yet, Father God, you bring us together, and I can't thank you enough for that. For everybody that's on right now, for everybody that's going to watch on the flip side of the live stream, for Carl that's on right now. Lord, we lift up our brothers and sisters who are alone. Father God, we know that you are with them, Father God, and that, Lord, we pray right now that you're, you're, you, Jehovah Shalom, that your peace, Father God, which covers so much, um, it is a perfect peace, that it would blanket them, that it would surround them, Father God, that your Holy Spirit would fill them, give them fresh insight into your word. And I pray that you would bring godly brothers and sisters around them, 
to lift them up, to encourage them, Father God, that there would be strong fellowship in these last days with the body of Christ. So, Father God, I pray for them and those that need to stay warm in the winter for your provision, Father God, and that I pray you would go before us in this podcast. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, folks, let's get cracking. So, Carl, if you don't mind, I am going to throw something out there. I I don't think Carl needs an intro. The majority of you guys know that Carl is an amazing researcher. Carl, God has gifted you. So tell us what a boots-on-the-ground researcher does. He creates trouble. No, just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he does. He, he stirs the pot. You stir, you're stir. you like this. This is what Carl does. He stirs the pot. <laughs> uh, you know, what you do is... Um, You've taken the time, you have invested, you have become intentional in going to those places where the world is changing or where the worldview uh, of transformation is being lived out in reality. It means going to events like the Parliament of World Religions on the interfaith side, and I've been to many interfaith events. It means going to Wiccan and witchcraft events uh, so that you can observe what is taking place, try to understand the shifting nature of that new religious trend. It means going to United Nations, global governance, world meetings. The bottom line is spending time in the other camp and to do it in a way where you are first being educated and then taking that material and pouring it out happening yeah yeah uh, this is how the world is changing and if possible if possible um finding those places where you can have conversations even in those locations that will be honoring to christ it does happen not often but it does happen yeah amen amen you know what praise god for for folks like you um that actually do the boots on the ground i think off the record i told you as believers we need to be boots on the ground Christians, like real followers yep. of Christ. You know what I mean? Not just not just from the, you know, just verbally saying it, but we really do need to do that. So tell you what, um, I know a lot of you guys are wondering what happened to um, the um, housekeeping that I usually do. I'm going to do that on the tail end of the podcast. And the reason why is because there's so much material I want to get through. Um, I'm going to bring Carl back on with Patrick. So we're going to do a trio podcast probably around February, maybe. Um, we're going to have to give Carl some time to recoup from this because I'm going to throw a lot at him. <laughs> but um, So we're going to have Carl back on. But in the meantime, let me set the stage, the foundation for where we're going to go and where we're at right now, too. So uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 25 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, and unrighteousness of men who suppress suppress or hold down the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest or made evident in them, among them. For God has shown it to them, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. Godhead is his divine nature or his deity, okay? So that they are without excuse. Nobody can excuse themselves. Verse 21, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. 
and their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible or perishable men and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Verse 25, who exchanged the truth, key, they exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So, Carl, with that said, I'm going to throw a question at you in the beginning of your book. Folks, I'll talk about his book and how you can get it at the end. But in the beginning of your book, you set the question, where are we? And I'm going to throw that right at you. Let's get cracking. Where are we, Carl? We are where, how do I say this? You know, before we started our conversation live, yes, we had just a little bit of a conversation around where are we? Yes. And I am in complete agreement. We are at Babel 2.0. Yeah. That's where we're at. Yeah. We, we are in the process of trying to rebuild Babel remake our own order man saying that we will we will ascend we will build our own kingdom on earth we will build heaven on earth we are at a place and i believe it is a, a place where uh where we can see romans one being reflected in real time and when i'm saying romans one what you read and then the the outcome of that is as we engage in a transformation of what is true as we engage in a, a spiritual transformation where we worship and serve creation, there is also a social and even a sexual revolution that transpires. It goes hand in hand. Yeah. In fact, Paul relates that in Romans 1. This is happening. There is a, a cause and effect that takes place. As we bow to the creation, we are given over to the lusts of our heart, we're given over to our debased mind, mm -hmm. we will do all sorts of things. Yeah. And so there is this cause and effect that's transpiring. I look at our situation right now, and I see, I see Western Christianity doing a reversal of what the early church did. And the early church arose out of a dominantly pagan culture. If you were a Christian in Athens, if you're a Christian in Corinth, if you were a Christian, uh, Anywhere in Asia Minor, you were surrounded by a pagan context. Family spirits, family idols, your community would have a shrine or a temple. Some of them, like um, Corinth, very profound temples. Athens, very large uh, religious hubs. And not only that, then, of course, you would have your divine kings, your, your Caesars, your rulers who are also as God. Yeah. And Christianity emerged from that. We, we ended up setting ourselves apart because of the truth of Jesus Christ, because he is the creator. And so we could not bow our knee to any of these other gods, self-proclaimed or whatever. No other gods could be put before us. And it changed the course of civilization. It changed the course of culture. It changed the course of of how we understand history, it all radically changed. And it radically changed because of, of what happened with Christ's resurrection and the fact that we know that our Redeemer lives. Amen. I'm now seeing 2,000, roughly 2,000 years later, of course, it's, it's a little less than that because yeah. the early church era goes all the way out to you know, 300, 400 AD, roughly. 
But we're seeing now a, a flip, a change. We are now seeing culture rejecting Christianity, rejecting the, the Christian foundation of what civilization looks like, what family looks like, uh, what our work ethic looks like. All that's it's being tossed. Um, we don't need to go into examples. We know it. Sure. And so it is being replaced, but it's not being replaced with secularism. That's there to a point. In fact, I teach a course at Miller College of the Bible. Uh, I do it uh, as a one-week modular course on secular trends. And right in the very beginning of the course, I, I tell my students, look, if you want to know what the trend of secular is, secularism is a, a pause. It's a gap between one dominant worldview being rejected and a new dominant worldview coming into a, a, a position of replacement. And I contest that we are now entering an age of what I've called in my book, re-enchantment, but we could basically say it this way. It's a paganized culture, a yeah. paganized context. Yeah. So what, where is secularism going? It's spiritual. Okay. And of course it has to be spiritual. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because we, we are spiritually wired. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So you just mentioned and kind of going, uh, you know, I, I have my outline here, but I like to, you know, deviate at times. You just talked about re-enchantment. Was there a point, because, you know, the it's a prefix to do over again. Was there a point of enchantment? And I know that might sound like a really silly question, but um, what what are your thoughts on that? The, the view is that we at one point were enchanted. We were in tune with nature. We found nature to be the abode of the divinities. We found nature to be the place where we discovered our wonder, where we discovered uh, what mankind's creative impulse was. There was a sense of mystery, great mystery behind, behind nature. And so if you spend time at all in, in let's call it the neo-pagan community, but it's broader than that. It's, it really is, there's a sense of, look, let's look for a new global myth or a new global ethic. Mm -hmm. and, and the recognition is that it was back there, back in that era before us Christians ruined it all, huh. where, where that sense of, of attachment to the natural world was there in a spiritual way. And now the, the point is we need to find it again. Right. So while we're on this subject, allow me to read a quote because sometimes it's best yeah. to just give it to you from their words. Sure. And so I'm going to quote to you the closing statements by Boutros Boutros Gawi. Now, for those of you who are younger, you might not know who he is. Uh, Boutros Boutros Gawi was the United Nations Secretary General uh, during the 1980s, late 1980s, early 1990s, and he was uh, the one involved in uh, helping set up the Rio Earth Summit, uh, the 1992 Rio Earth Summit, which gave us the climate change conference, the climate change agenda, Agenda 21, all kinds of stuff we're now dealing with. I mean, my goodness, we're speaking right now at the end of the Conference of the Parties, the 27th yeah. one, yep. taking place in Egypt. Yeah, It, it emerges from this okay. context. Uh, the Climate Change Conference. So this is what Boutros Boutros Gali says. These are words of re-enchantment. This is his summing up statement to the Rio Conference. I should like to conclude by saying that the spirit of Rio must create a new form of good citizenship after loving his neighbor as the Bible required him to Post-Rio man must also love the world, including the flowers, birds, and trees, every part of that natural environment that we are constantly destroying. Yeah. 
over and above the moral contract with God, over and above the social contract concluded with men, we must now conclude an ethical and political contract with nature, with this earth, to which we owe our very existence and which gives us life. To the ancients, the Nile was a god to be venerated, as was the Rhine, an infinite source of European myths, or the Amazonian forest, the mother of forests. Throughout the world, nature was the abode of the divinities that gave the forest, the desert, or the mountains a personality which commanded worship and respect. The earth had a soul. To find that soul again, to give it new life, that is the essence of Rio. Wow. That's re-enchantment. Yeah, absolutely. And it looks like, to me, I look at verse 25, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. Exactly. Right? And so, again, like we talked off the record, as I had mentioned to you, it seems like this is Babel 2.0, but like fully upgraded, you know, um, and so that's where we're at right now. So let me let me kind of move on because I, we, we have good momentum going on here. You say uh, the Judeo-Christian structures are being dismantled and replaced. We're witnessing the creation of a new global neighborhood. I like the way you put that. Um, it's builders, and I'd like you to maybe uh, talk quickly about who those builders are, anticipate a coming synthesis. That means combining this into a one system, right? Mm -hmm. or entity, on oneness. And we talked off the record about this. So uh, you say becomes oneness becomes the banner under which they, again, the builders, who are they, under which they work. So please explain that to you. Explain that to us, this oneness. But who are these builders? What is this coming synthesis? These builders uh, would be known as organizations like the Club of Rome. Uh, they are some of the thinkers, the intellectuals behind the United Nations. Uh, a good example was Robert Mueller. Robert Mueller's passed away. Uh, he was the Undersecretary General for the United Nations. <coughs> Pardon me. My first, the first event I ever went to, boots on the ground, Robert Mueller was one of our speakers. It was all on becoming good global citizens. And it was creating a new, a new myth, a new narrative by which we would find a, a global ethic. And that global ethic was... We were divine. Everything is divine. Everything is interconnected. Everything becomes one. Hmm. Um, Marie Strong, who has passed away, he's from Canada. Uh, he was the uh, he was very involved as as shaping some of this some of this thought process at the uh, political level. Uh, I give you just one example. Our global neighborhood, published in the mid 1990s, is in the first. 10 pages or so, it says this is not about world government. And then the rest of it basically describes becoming a world government. <laughs> uh, we have to have, uh, you know, and they kind of help phrase uh, or term the phrase global governance, um, which was all about finding new structures, new ethical value systems, new, a new sense of, uh, of politics, a new sense of, of the world coming together gathering itself together not to say nations cease to exist you can right. keep your nations you keep your 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 ethnos but now we have unity in that diversity we all end up playing the same game we play by the same rule book we shape a common ethic a common social system a common way of thinking and that is now moving towards the idea of, of being a good global citizen. Uh -huh. That's who you are supposed to be. So in Canada here, I mean, uh, I hate to say this, but I 
I don't have a choice in the matter. When I fill up my car at the gas station, I am paying a tithe and an offering to Gaia mm. in the form of a, of a carbon credit. Yeah. Yep. It is literally completely founded within that context, that worldview, this new myth, this myth of going back to going back to nature, going back to Gaia, going back to Mother Earth and saving her. So we become we become saviors, we become redeemers. And in the same time, at the same time, we save ourselves. And here's the crazy part. I mean, I've, I've heard that literally expressed by spending time with these, let's call them change agents. That's, that's what they are. Yeah. Uh, and a prime example was at the 2018 Parliament of World Religions in Toronto, where in one of the closing speeches, one of the board members of the parliament expressed thanks to us for our engagement in saving the planet, because as we save the planet, we save ourselves. Hmm. And what all this boils down to, whether you look at it from its political, cultural, from its religious, or even its technological side, and especially its technological yeah. side, it is a quest to find our own redemption story yep. that puts man at the center of this. We build our own temple. We worship ourselves. Creation worships itself. And we, we want to rebuild the world in our own image. It's so important for people to wrap their heads around that all we're talking about, this is not conspiracy. Yeah. At the bottom line, it's a worldview that's being lived out solidly lived out and worked out now it doesn't mean that everybody who's involved in influencing these ideas are on the same page they all want the same goal but i i've been in these circles enough to know they don't all get along with each other yeah yeah i bet awesome yeah. well okay so so let me ask you right because um those that are vying for power my, my question is do do you believe because again you've been to these conferences you have been there uh, live and in person, do you really believe that these people believe in this, you know, this synthesis that they're trying to create, this oneness? I mean, okay, maybe a handful of them are deluded enough to think that they're actually making a difference, but underneath all of this show, because to me, this is just a big show, right? What is really going on? Because I think you hit the nail on the head right now. Uh, what I see, for example, tribulation side. We got the Ten Kings, the first hat three and a half years. And what it looks to me like on the on the outside of that is everything's running perfectly, you know, this well-oiled machine. Again, tribulation, ten kings running the entire gamut of the whole world. But underneath there seems to be infighting, and one of them just always wants to get ahead of the other one, right? Dog eat dog kind of thing. So do they really believe this stuff? I, I know you're like, because it, it's it's crazy. You know, yes, they do believe this stuff, but they all come at it with their own agendas, their own egos, their own budget lines, literally budget yeah, lines, yeah. because these are, this is business. This is business at, the, at the, literally the highest level. This isn't just simply business of, of commercial exchange. This is the business of remaking the world. And, and so they come at it from, you know, with, with a common cause or a common goal, and certainly even a common belief that they can make the world better. Uh, it's not a cliche to say that the, that the road to hell is paved in good intentions. Yeah, I agree. It, it is absolutely the truth. Yeah. Uh, that is, you, you can document that until, well, my goodness, we can document that right till the cows come home. It's just, that is the reality. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that they all get along, not even close. So I'll give you a, perf a, a, a personal example. Sure. 
way, way back in the day, I was a, a delegate uh, to the United Nations Millennium Forum. And, and it, to me, that, that was a highlight event. It has, it's always been a highlight event. Uh, I went in not as press. I've gone in very little as press. I find other ways in. Uh, and I, I talk a little bit about it in my book. At that point, I had spent enough time and had invested enough of my energy um, going to World Federalist meetings and the World Federalist Association. Now they're called Citizens for Global Change. But the World Federalist Association is the largest pro-world government advocacy group in the United States. And they're part of a broader organization called the World Federalist Movement. And so for lack of a better way of phrasing it, I had, I had infiltrated them. Yeah. I, I'd, I'd gone inside. I'd paid my dues. I'd, and in fact, I didn't have to pay my dues. I'd, I had been granted <laughs> access in um, through a, it's a crazy story. I won't even get into it. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm there. Okay. You're I'm there. there. You're inside. I'm inside. Uh, I'm actually... I'm sitting in the first three rows. In fact, that's, and this is a crazy side story. Uh, at one point, I had I'd gone into the the general UN General Assembly. I'd sat myself down about halfway up the uh, uh, up into the auditorium. Uh, I sat beside a member, a fellow from Australia, a parliamentarian from Australia, and he had asked if I knew anybody there. And well, I knew I knew a bunch of World Federalists, but I didn't know them. Yeah. I mean, my goodness, you know. I said, Nah, no, I don't really know anybody here. No sooner had I said that than a very prominent world federalist walked up the center aisle, came straight to my desk, put his hands on my desk and says, Carl, you have a <laughs> VIP seat in the first three rows. Oh, wow. I'm like, I can't even say anything to this guy beside <laughs> me now. I mean, nothing. Hey, pack it all up, go to the front. Anyways, you know, you um, do yeah. know that that's biblical, right? That reminds me, <laughs> as you said that the Lord said, hey, don't sit in the front lest you're going to be shamed. And someone says, hey, buddy, that's for somebody else. You got to go to the back. You did it the biblical way, right? You sat in the <laughs> back and they said, hey, Carl, we got the sea waiting for you right up front. Man, I love it. It's like the Bible just coming to life. <laughs> you know, there's so many crazy things like that. So when I'm there, I'm at the uh, I, I am part of a working group, and I discuss this in my chapter on global order. I'm on a working group that is restructuring uh, the, the, the face of international relations. Uh, it's, a, it's a group restructuring global democracy. That's the concept. And so we have had conversations on creating um, uh, 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 sources of revenue through global taxation. We talked about carbon tax. We talked about all these kinds of things that now it's not crazy talk anymore. Right. Um, and one of the one of the sessions was all about uh, setting up a global people's assembly, which is essentially a parliament or a congress that can be attached to the United Nations, or the WTO, or any of the other Bretton Woods organizations. And so it was a full room and the moderators, we had two men up in front, each representing an organization, and they wanted this outcome document to say what they believed was important and have their organization as, as the key players for this movement towards creating a global people's assembly. Um, over the course of that, of that afternoon, Everybody who's in this room is on the same page. They all want this one thing. They want this new entity, this new global parliament. And everybody had their own vision of how that would look, their own ideas of how this would play out, 
they all had strong egos. Mm -hmm. And by the time it was all done, the room was basically bare. There was hardly anybody left. People just got angry and started leaving. I mean, it was, it was vocal. It was raw, really, really raw at times. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, I walked away from that going, these people, I mean, they all have the same outcome, but they're still humans. They're still human beings with the same frailties and, 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 and sin problem of everybody else. Yeah. And what I see is, you know, deception, it, it, uh, it permeates everywhere. It permeates everywhere. And in some places I have to say a lot more than others and it's crazy. So, um, let me, does, I want, I think this kind of ties into, uh, the, what you mentioned in your book, uh, two truths, right? Uh, there's one truth versus another truth. And I'm sure one of those has to be a capital T truth. So, um, do, do these two truths, obviously they war against each other They you know, it's, it's either one or the other. Um, so how has the Western soul, cause I wrote down here, how has it, you talk about the Western soul, how is it, how has it been or how is it being transformed? Because we do see a massive transformation. Why don't you speak into that real quick? Because I think that's very sure. apropos. I think uh, uh, maybe a way of approaching this is to take us back a little bit in time to the 1960s. And, and what we are seeing is the sense of oneness where, well, let, me, let me just actually go to what that By that all means, entails. go for it, go for it. So oneness or oneism, and and oneism is not my phrase. Uh, Dr. Peter Jones put that phrase together. Uh, he put, not that one so much, but twoism he's put together. And and I really have built off of his work. I so appreciate how he's phrased things. So oneism is this idea that God, man, and nature are all essentially the same at the core, at the essence of who we are, our being. We are all the same. We're all made of the same stuff. The universe is divine. Nature is divine. I am divine. That's oneness. Mm-hmm. And it gets played out in a myriad of ways. It touches everything from, from politics yep. all the way through. Yep. And then the biblical approach is not dualism. We've often talked right. about it as dualism. It's not. It's twoism. And this is where Dr. Peter Jones, his hermeneutical approach, I think is so important. Twoism is recognizing that God is distinct, unique, absolutely different than the created order. He stands outside of it. By definition, he has to be different from it. Sure. And when you recognize that, all of a sudden it changes all kinds of things, including where you get your sense of value from. Um, The very concept of values can only exist with a God who is distinct from nature and holds a higher value than nature himself and gives value into the world. Because if oneness exists, if oneness is true, if it is truly true, capital T truth, then distinctions dissolve. There is no difference. Your binaries dissolve, your sexuality dissolves, your gender dissolves. This is actually the the core of our sexual revolution that's taking place right now. Your cancer or your cat means nothing. Uh, Joy, peace, war, it's meaningless. And this is the great irony. When I spend time interacting with the political, the religious, or even the technological side, expressing this sense of oneness, whether it's global governance or at interfaith events, 
we are working for a better tomorrow. Hmm. Well, if your worldview is true, who cares? Flat out, yeah. who cares? Yeah. There is no better and there is no tomorrow. All there is is the eternal now. Suck it up, princess. Yep. Whether you live or die means nothing because values disintegrate within your concept of oneness. Yeah. Yeah. They have to. They absolutely have to. And in fact, again, that, that actually is the Buddhist concept of that great void entering that great nothingness um, where you are dissolved. Whereas the biblical position is no, God is transcendent. He is distinct from creation. He is different than nature. And because he orders nature, we now see values being brought to play. We are different than the animal kingdom. Yeah. We have differences in gender. Imagine. Yeah. We, yeah. we have differences in every facet of life there is. We, we make ju judgments and value calls. We're doing it all the time. Oftentimes without even thinking about yep. it, we do it. It is a reflection of the very fact that the God who created the world is distinct and different. And therefore, nature itself made through his creative power also has distinctions and differences. Yeah. It's not oneness. Yeah. It's twoism. God is different. And then the rest of it is beautiful and big and, and amazingly complex, like incredibly complex. And sometimes there's interlocking and we would even say interconnected parts yeah. that all come together with it. But it's still distinct and different. It is, it is not the same as Jesus Christ. Yeah. We, we talked off the record about how Satan is the master counterfeiter, right? And he wants to do everything that he, he wants to pretend and try and deceive, again, master deceiver as well, right? Um, what God is going to do, right? He's going to set up his kingdom here on earth, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is. But Satan is trying to counterfeit that with setting up his quote-unquote kingdom here on earth. And everything that we see all... Um, the movement and what we're talking about right now, this this whole movement towards oneness, this is Satan's attempt to thwart in his warped mind what God is going to do in the future, right? Yes. And so, yep. um, yes, so there's constant warring between truth, little t, and truth, big t, right? The truth that right. we get from the Word of God, the truth that is set forth by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so... I definitely believe that it, it's the, like you mentioned, the Western soul is being transformed. Now, I look conversely on the flip side, because when we talk about the Western, we think Europe, we think stateside, we think all of, you know, kind of you divide the world this way, which is West side, right? But what about those that are on the flip side of that? And oftentimes what I see happening, and I'm just kind of deviating a little bit here, mm -hmm. is that the focus is here on the West and not as much on the countries that they think they somehow, hey, we already got it here. Don't worry about us. Yet in those countries, the church is growing by leaps and bounds. People are coming to Jesus Christ. The church is flourishing in a way that here in the West, we don't see that. Am I far right. off base to say something like that? No, I agree. I agree. We do see that. We do see the church. Uh, moving forward in other parts of the world that that even can be very close to the gospel. Um, we in the West, we don't see that same situation occurring at this point. We're, we're kind of in a, in a malaise of yeah. sorts. 
you know, and it's discouraging on one hand. At the same time, we know that as as there's pushback against the gospel message and against Christianity, it does force us, even in the West, it forces us, even in our very comfortable existence, to have to all of a sudden make hard decisions. What do I really believe? What yeah. will I really stand for? Yeah. In the workplace, within your own family, unfortunately, that's often the case. Yeah. Sometimes even in our own churches, sadly. Yeah. Yeah. And we've seen that. We saw that. We ab- Absolutely. We have seen that. And we're going to see that some more. Yeah. There's no question. I agree Especially, 100%. Yep. You know? And, and so where, where the Western... Where the Western soul started to, I'm going to use, I use that term loosely, but where it kind of starts to break down historically is we see World War One breaking an entire generation of men. Yeah. World War One, people don't realize how, how horrific it was. 7,000 men roughly a day died every day for four years on the battlefield. It was an industrial war that obliterated Europe. It stripped apart monarchies. It destroyed the old order. The Ottomans were gone. The Habsburg Empire was gone. The Romanovs were gone. Everything flipped on its head. The Soviet Union emerges. Communism emerges. Everything changes. The League of Nations happens. The Western world now has an angst. We have now faced this horror on the battlefield. Yeah. And it really changed intellectual thought it changed uh, even how churches approach things the social gospel message started to flourish look we have to make this into a better world uh you can even go back before that up into up, even right up to the 1893 parliament of world religions that's kind of where that thinking started we're going to create heaven on earth yeah and the social gospel movement followed in and, and world war one really helped to push that and it really pushed the idea of of a technocracy Ironically, that's where, really where it begins, this idea of we can manage a utopia. Now that we know how to manage a hell, the battlefield, maybe we can take that same energy and out, force it into a utopian condition. Yeah. Well, of course, it didn't play out, did it? I mean, World War II comes along, yeah. and, and, and the mushroom cloud becomes the symbol of, of modernity. Um, and it literally, again, it stripped, it stripped the Western soul of... of goodness of meaning i mean it, it was it was catastrophic so by the time the 1960s rolls around you have a generation uh, sp- speaking specifically of those who are in their 20s and 30s by the time the 1960s rolls around whose grandparents whose parents whose uncles had seen war at a global level you have lived underneath the shadow of the the bomb yep. understandably so um, all the trappings of modernity seem to be stripped away. The 1950s was almost like uh, a rejoicing. We won the war and now yeah. we have affluence. But it was that same type of, of materialism that in a sense just pointed back to, to what we could do in our, in our factories and what we could bring out to the battlefield. It, 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 there wasn't a depth to it. it. It had stripped the soul of its meaning. And so by the time the 1960s comes along, we're rejecting that. We're rejecting the structures that fit with those old ways. And that includes the church, even though the church really wasn't a part of that. Um, not, not in the sense that, that people maybe can, can think it sure. through. But So we reject that. We reject authority. We reject 
those old systems. We reject family. We reject sexuality the way our parents held to sexuality. We are looking for something more. We're looking for something new, for something fresh, something yeah. that will make us feel yep. yeah. alive. Yeah. Yeah. And where did we go? We ran to India. The thinkers, the intellectuals of the day ran to India. India became a hotspot for those speaking, seeking a new spiritual grounding. And then in the late 50s, early 60s, they would return to the United States uh, and they would set up centers like the Esalon Center in California. Yeah. And the Esalon Center in the 1960s would merge the, the Western concepts of psychology, the human potential movement with yoga, with Eastern mysticism, bring in your politicians, bring in your mayors, bring in maverick theologians, and you'd all sit naked in the hot tub, and you'd sing Kumbaya, and you all feel good about it. You all felt that you are now tapping into something bigger, yeah. something more profound. And if you take a look at the literature from the 60s, 70s, and a little bit more into the 80s as well, some of the literature speaks of, of we're now moving into a new, we're looking for a new myth. We're looking for some new mythos. And by a myth, I'm not talking about a fairy tale. I'm not talking about a fable, but a narrative, a framing story. And so that was the quest. That was the hope. Interestingly, the, the uh, Apollo, um, um, the NASA Apollo program, you saw, see Dick Gordon, you see, see the astronauts returning. Uh, who, who, when they would be asked in the media, you know, what was, what changed you? What was, what was your profound takeaway? And, and the common response was, we discovered our earth. We discovered, we discovered ourselves. Yeah. And all of a sudden it was an introspection. Yeah. And this search for an inner meaning. Yeah. And the sixties and the seventies really grabbed that. And that became, you could look at that as the engine that gave us then the new age movement, yep. which is really a, a form of self-spirituality, a, th a thinly spread smorgasbord of everything that you could pick from, but it was all about the I. Whereas this sense of re-enchantment was more than that. It was saying, yes, you are divine, but the real, the real issue is not about I, it's about we, all of us yeah. together, globally, moving as one, building our new edifice, yep. we come together and we create, and I'm going to go back to where we started in our conversation. Yeah, where are we, we? We, build, we build Babel. Sure, absolutely. And I want to get to this too, but um, as, as I'm listening to you speak, and by the way, you know, this whole notion of the astronauts going out during the Apollo program, uh, we just did a field trip to the uh, Columbia Space Center. It's a tiny museum out here in the city of Downey. And they play these, NASA plays uh, these videos, whether it be on the atmosphere or rocket propulsion. But one of the segments was on those astronauts that have gone out either to the ISS or they did missions on, case in point, the Columbia that was the common response and thread. As you just said that, it brought me back to this last to Friday where they were saying the exact same thing. They were thinking of themselves, wow, you know, this whole oneness. We are actually all interconnected as we look at the planet, at our planet. You know, we see all of these different landscapes. And what we realize is that the fabric of the world 
it unifies us. We are all one. We are all connected. And it's that same exact thing that started back in the 60s during, you know, uh, Apollo. And then I think we had, well, we had Gemini, Apollo, Mercury, Mm -hmm. Atlas. And it's that same thread. And whether it's, it's through aeronautics, it's in politics, it's in religion, it's in economy. And that's not going away anytime soon. If anything, like we said in the very beginning, this is where we're going. It is Babel 2.0. It is this us, us, us. We are gods. And and you make you make mention of Gen, uh, Genesis chapter 3, uh, verse 5, and I was going to bring that up, but I think this would be a good time to bring this up, right? The temptation and fall of man. But um, it says here, for God knows, this is Satan talking. Let me go to, back up to verse 4. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. It's that perpetual lie from the garden that we're seeing repackaged, right? But in a different format, in a different format. Let me let me go here real quick because I'm going to throw a whole slew of things at you again. Uh, you know, I know we're running out of time, but we're, we're still good because I want to take a few questions at the end. And I'm going to go out of order here. I love your book has um, five sections. And for those, again, I'm going to get to the book at the end of the podcast. We'll do the housekeeping at the end. Your book is broken up into five sections. Um, And I know that it's proper to stay in chronology, though you said you don't necessarily have to read it chronologically, right? Because it doesn't, it's not like one section technically builds on the other section. Right. So I'm going to go out of order because I think it's really important for us to, um, and we, we talked about Western thought. We talked about what the West means. We covered that already, right? So, um, and you did mention a bit about the rise and fall of Christianity. And I kind of want to just talk about that because I think that plays a lot into postmodernism, modernity, what we're living in right now has a lot to do with what I believe is definitely worsening the not only the dismantling on a global level of society in this effort to become one, but also we're seeing the the decay and the breakdown of Christianity, of the church, at least on the Western front. How do those two play hand in hand? Because they definitely play hand in hand, the decay and the breakdown of Christianity with the with this massive influx of postmodernism, this oneness, one world government, globalization, etc. Right, I see postmodernism as playing an important part, but postmodernism, like secularism, I believe, is a stopgap. It's a a pause. Um, the nineteen sixties gives us the birth of postmodernism as yeah. we understand. Yeah, I mean, you can go back further than that. To Nietzsche and so on, but it really is the 1960s where that comes into play. It's that rejection of modernity, rejection of authority, rejection of Christianity at the same time. Yep. Uh, that's thrown out the window. So where do you go? Now what are you going to do? Yeah, you've thrown away the foundation. Yep. What are you going to do? So postmodernism ends up questioning everything, and this is, I guess, I, I try to bring it bring it right down to what what is foundational about postmodernism and the foundational flaw of it is that postmodernism said all we have are questions and no answers and so in fact you you're not even you're not even encouraged to find answers 
at least not back in the old structures, not back in modernity, and certainly not back in Christianity. Yeah. And so that brings us back around to now, where do we go? Where do we find answers? And as, as the church itself in the last 50 years has struggled under the weight of this massive intellectual change in the Western world, we see the church itself, Christians struggling with postmodernism, yep. struggling with that big question, what is true? Yeah. It's not even what is true. The real question, and Pilate missed the point when he asked Jesus, um, what is truth? He, he should have asked Jesus, who, who, is, who is true? true? Yeah. Because who is true was standing right in front of him. Yep. And so we've missed that as well. You know, in Canada, we have a, a denomination known as the United Church of Canada. It was, it is Canada's flagship Protestant church. It is progressive and woke as as you can imagine okay it is it's it's wild where it has gone I, i've studied studied a little bit of its history including where things started to break down and one united church historian that i was that i was reading described that in the 1960s where the change happened for them as a denomination was already questioning is jesus christ even true is he even is he even the truth and so that was already being toyed with and played with 50 years ago now i mean if i take you to united church service you can flip open the hymn book and there's a song oh beautiful gaia as we sing venerations to mother earth wow. um uh, there's united church not far away from from uh from my own community it's it's about 70 80 miles away where they often put on their billboard you know they have an interfaith gathering or they have a climate justice service and you're no different now at yeah. this point than, than the United Nations and, and everything we've just been discussing. There is no, there's nothing fundamentally unique. It's an extension. Um, you've bought the world. Yeah. You have bought the world. Yeah. And so that's, unfortunately, I see the trend. I see that trend within Christian, Christianity as we haven't been able to grasp the weight of what postmodernism put upon us we all of a sudden felt almost shameful by saying, hi, we actually have some answers. Yeah. Yeah. I, I and the agree. answers are found, you know, the answers yep. are found in the Bible. Yeah. Yep. To yep. our shame. Yeah. You know, yeah. just, just like the first earth day, which happened in April the 22nd, 1970. And it's the first earth day radically, radically re reformed America, Canada, our, our thinking, because it, it implanted in our minds that our services to the earth but one of the essays in the in the in the environmental handbook which came out for the first earth day in 1970 was asking the question about looking for a new religion yeah because christianity was to blame and it just outright blazed the blame on us the christian response at that point in time wasn't to say i want to challenge your assumptions it wasn't to say look your facts are inaccurate you're painting a narrative that isn't true and then bring truth into it. No, no. What did, what did Christian denominations do? We started to apologize. We apologize because we've always, we were always on the right side of history. Yeah. And now all of a sudden the world is pointing at us and saying, you're the problem. We didn't know how to take that. And all of a sudden we were like, oh, really? Well, maybe we need to, we need to change as well. And all of a sudden you can, this is documented. My goodness, this is Romans 1. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. there is a, absolutely a parallel track between the 60s, what happened there with our 
the Western world saying we are going to worship and serve creation and the sexual revolution. They yeah. walk hand in hand. Oh, yeah, 100%. Can, can, you know, I, and, can I just yeah. jump in here real quick? Because I don't want this opportunity to pass us by. As you mentioned, Earth Day. Um, I don't think a lot of people really understand who the guy behind Earth Day was. And um, I remember reading back in the day that the guy went to jail. Um, and, and you know what I'm talking about. Correct me if I'm wrong, but... Um, and this is just one article, and this was a while back, but I'm going to post this up, um, that he actually, oh. Ira Einhorn, I think it was the first one right here, yeah, April 22nd, 1970, back in Philadelphia, was the first Earth Day event. Seven years later, police raided his closet and found that found the composted body of his ex-girlfriend, his girlfriend. inside yep. of a trunk. And the reason why I didn't, I wanted to make sure that we address that was because I think it's important for people to understand uh, where these people are coming from. These, these are not your, these aren't, and even if I say church going people, because even nowadays you've got to really watch that. But, but uh, this is sick, you know? Uh, on one side, they're trying to to show, as we stated in the beginning, oh, you know, great intentions. Look what the guy's doing. He started this beautiful thing to clean up the earth and clean up the planet. And yes, God gave us dominion over the earth. And I can't say that we've done the best job at doing that, okay? But at the end of the day, God never nope. told us, hey, I'm going to give you dominion of the earth and worship it too. But right. but it's sick to think the people behind these things, and 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 it's important for us to look behind the curtains, right? Who's behind the curtains and the Wizard of Oz, and you know, doing all of these things with their levers and everything. So, anyways, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I just wanted to throw that in there because it was a good a uh, good place that something you brought up. So I'm sorry if I did. No, no, no. It's 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 all good that way. Um, yeah, and Gaylord Nelson was uh, the politician yes, behind the politician. Yeah. That, that made it happen. Uh, you know, it was a big deal. 2,000 college campuses, uh, I think 10,000 elementary and secondary schools were involved in celebrating the first Earth Day. I've got it on the shelf and I should have pulled it out. The Environmental Handbook, is, it's a fairly big book. Uh, it chastises Christianity, like remarkably chastises it. And then at the end of the book, uh, it even gives a list of, uh, and I've got the list uh, in my in my book. Uh, yeah. Uh, in fact, I'll read part of the list to you. Sure. Now that now that Christianity has been rejected or should be rejected because of the destruction we have caused as Christians, that was where the blame was being laid openly. The American Handbook said this: Let these be encouraged, Gnostics, hip Marxists, Tehar Desjardins Catholics, Jewids, Taoists. Biologists, I'm not sure why bi biologists yeah, were in there, but whatever, <laughs> you know, whatever. Uh, witches, yogis, goes on, Quakers, Sufis, Tibetans, Zens, shamans, Bushmen, American Indians, Polynesians, anarchists, alchemists, the list is long. All primitive culture and communal and ashram movements. So, so since it doesn't seem practical or even desirable to think that direct bloody force will achieve much, it would be best to consider this a continuing revolution of consciousness which will be won not by guns, but by seizing the key images, myths, archetypes, eschatologies, and ecstasies, so that life won't seem worth living unless one's on the transforming energy side. Yeah. You know, that's pretty much pretty blatant right there. I was going to say that's uh, pretty specific too. Oh, very specific. Yeah. You know, what's interesting, and I would actually, you know, as Christians, 
this is boots on the ground. Yeah. Go to Amazon or, or half price books or whatever thrift books talk. I don't care what, where you go, go get it, go grab a copy of the environmental handbook, read through it critically, think about it, wrestle with it. Um, I think you're going to find it shocking because this is really an incredible Romans one exhibit. So let me just give you an example. Hang on, real, uh, real quick. Sure. Name, um, uh, if I could ask Lisa D or Ruthie, if you guys could look up and put the link up there for, um, from Amazon. What's the name of the book again, Carl? The Environmental Handbook Prepared for the First National Environmental Teaching, 1970. Okay, perfect. If if you ladies would be able to put that up for anybody that might want it, even on the flip side of the live podcast. That would be wonderful. So thank you so much. By the way, uh, if you guys could give thumbs up to uh, Lisa D and Ruthie, they are both doing a fabulous job. And I can't think I wouldn't be able to do this without them. So anyway, sorry to interrupt there, Carl. No, but, no, uh, no. It's all good. So remember, as, as you were reading through Romans 1, this interlinkage between we worship creation. Yeah. And now we have a sexual revolution. Yep. Okay. This is from the Environmental Handbook. Again, I've, I've I've got sections of it in my chapter. Um, first of all, freedom to breed will bring ruin to all. And then it goes on to explain legalized voluntary abortions and sterilization provide these services free. Keep in mind, this book is written for children. It was written for uh, the school children and, and colleges it, for the first environmental um, Earth Day, uh, the first environmental teaching, April 22nd, 1970. Remove all restrictions on the provision of birth control, information and devices, provide these services free to all. It goes on and on, offer bon annual bonuses for couples remaining childless and climate, and the, pardon me, and eliminate tax deductions for more than two children. Marriage too here has to be reimagined. Mm -hmm. Explore other social structures and marriage forms, such as group marriage and palangious marriage. Share the pleasure of raising children widely. We must hope that no one woman would give birth to more than one child. Yep. Yeah. Where that's, that's, I mean, where pretty are we straightforward. At? Yeah, that's exact. I mean, if, if you pay attention, and I think you and I kind of talked about this as well, off the record, for those that are paying attention, everything that is written right in here, the Lord called it. It's all right in here, right? Um, and some, someone said here that there's a lot of people that aren't reading their Bibles. Don't tell them to read something else. Hey, listen, we're not here to take the focus off of scripture. I think what we want to do and Carl as well is I'm a big proponent of reading books as well so that you can get an idea and also know what not only is going on now, but what they've been planning for a long time. They've been saying it. This isn't something new. They've been saying it quietly. And we're going to get to something, a book written back in, I think it was 1976, right? Anthony Sutton's book? Mm -hmm. 76. Yep. So so what we're trying to do is, yes, obviously, read the Word of God, number one. Don't be God, mm -hmm. don't be God deficient. Don't be Scripture deficient. Because if you don't know the Scripture, obviously, you're not going to be able to discern as you're reading something outside of the realms of Scripture. But know the Word of God, but also it's important for us to know what else, like what Carl is telling us, right? Look at all the books. You've read, um, I would imagine, every single book behind you, right? <laughs> I haven't read them all, but I know what's in there. Okay. And this, this is a, a small sapling of what yeah. you can't see around me. 
but it it's important that the, those resources like what we, even just your show right now what is doing the word of god is first yep the rest of what we've actually been discussing are exhibits yes demonstrating in the negative the truth of the word of god because they're not it's not fun flowery positive thinking uh um affirmations it is it's a negative but yeah. you know it's really interesting paul uses the negative all the time to affirm the truth of god don't do don't be like and yeah. so we're we're looking at the world around us and we're seeing what the world is doing and we're going mm, this fits with first of all the war against the nature of god it fits with the character of man as portrayed by the word of god yeah and it demonstrates how desperately we want a savior. Yeah. And if we reject the true God, we say the savior is ourself. Yeah. Yep. That's the bottom line. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the messianic replacement that comes through this line of thinking is staggering. Let me, let me illustrate one. Again, this is the Go for example. It. And this is taking from uh, my chapter on, on world order. Uh, remember the the actress? Um, oh, I'm trying to think of her name right now. Um, oh golly, uh, Jean Stapleton. Yes, Jean Stapleton. Okay, yep. Um, so Jean Stapleton found it. Found my quote. Jean Stapleton gave a an endorsement to the World Federalist Movement. This this organization promoting long-standing organization promoting world government. Notice the language. It, it fits with what we've been discussing here our, during our entire interview. The goal of the World Federalists is peace through unity of government. We must support their vision of oneness in diversity, for it is the salvation of humanity. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's religion. That's right. Yep. That's what that is. That is a religious claim. Yeah. Yeah, man, um, man's attempt, man's attempt to get to God, right? Bingo. I can do, I could do it my way, my way. Right. So then, in that case, then what's the point of Christ dying on the cross? I think we really need to figure that out, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. I think one other before we we dive into sure. Anthony Sutton here, uh, if it's okay. Yeah. Please. One other one other point that's important as we wrestle through the literature the you know doing the boots on the ground work all that goes with trying to understand what's happening in the world today is that i think it's important for us no i don't think i know no. it's important for us as ambassadors for christ paul in second corinthians says that we are ambassadors now he's not saying that as a recommendation he's not even saying this is a metaphor or an, an, an allegory he says we are ambassadors do you know what an ambassador does? Represents, Have you spent any time yeah. at all with the diplomatic community? I, I've had the opportunity of spending quite a bit of time because of where I've traveled with the diplomatic community. Many, many moons ago, uh, when I was attending a Chicago Council on Foreign Affairs event, we had the US ambassador to Saudi Arabia. And this is right after 9-11 and he broke down what his task was. I walked away from that event with my jaw on the ground because I realized he just described what it means to be an ambassador. I just, you know, read it. Hey, you're a representative. Right. Whoa, 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 whoa. 
way deeper than that. You are the legal, official, legal representative of your king. Amen. That's what you are. You are the legal representative. You are going in with a mandate. It's not something that is flippant. Yeah. And so the ambassador broke that down, what it, what it meant now for him to study and, and, and to put himself in the, or have himself put in this position. He, he described the importance of, I have, to, I have to put away my own interests when I'm in this position. Because now my interests, if my interests are there, I have to ha make sure they're subsumed to the interests of my government. I'm not here representing myself. I'm not here trying to make my world better. Yeah. Yeah. I'm here as that legal representative. Amen. And, 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 when, and when the world sees me, they see me as an official of my government. And follow-up follow up question. How, yeah. are, how are we doing on that front? <laughs> right. I know. Yeah. I know. You know, and, and to me, this was a, it was a striking moment. He, he described how preparing to be an ambassador requires that he takes the time to study and read Arabic history, to know their culture, to study their philosophers, to work through what their culture and society looks like. And he described this in, in remarkable terms that he's not of that world, but he's in it. Yeah. So that he can be an effective communicator as that official legal representative. I'm like, that's exactly yeah, first it. You, you know your king's power and your king's position. Yeah. And you take the time to study and know the alternative to that as you now officially represent him in a legal capacity. Yeah, I agree. It was remarkable. I was just like, ah. Yeah. And how, how many of us, seriously, how many of us as ambassadors to Christ? really know the word of God, really know mm. our King. You know, can we give an answer for the reason that lies, for the hope that lies within us, you know, in season and out of season? Are we able to, to uh, properly uh, um, and apologetically defend the faith? Are we able to do that in, in, in a manner in which glorifies Christ, in a manner in which praises our King, and in a way that, you know, is, is, um, is befitting for a believer in Christ. I've always said, look, I might step on a whole lot of toes when I say this, but I always put the blame of the condition of our country strictly and solely on the shoulders of the church, period, mm -hmm. period. And I know a lot of people don't like to hear that, but the church has dropped the ball. The church has dropped the ball. Now, again, I'm not I'm not boxing everybody into that one uh, statement because there are uh, semblances of Philadelphia churches still. I get that. I understand that. There are still good churches. I'm talking as a whole, the church as a whole. Um, we dropped the ball. We dropped the ball, and we're seeing we're seeing the results of dropping that ball. So that's just that's just my take. You know, I'm not putting words in your mouth, but that's nope. just the way nope. I see it. I, I agree. We have we have dropped that ball. So, listen. Um, I want. There's so much more here that we can go through. I have a whole lot, and I'll tell you what. Maybe um, I can put some of this stuff off when you and Patrick come on and talk about this as well. But 
I definitely want to talk real quick and then we'll take some questions if you're okay with it because I am looking at the yep. time. I want to make sure I respect your time. Um, let me go to um, these biblical responses, right? So in your book, you talk about us as believers. We must have biblical responses or approaches that we should take. As you say, approaches we should take. They're all necessary um, for us to be able to have, as you call it, a rounded perspective, right? And so the the first one is God as separate and unique from creation, right? I want you to explain that. And then I really, maybe we'll just finish it off here and we'll talk about, I know I wanted to get to Lovins, but I think we're going to have to, I think it'll be better when we, we'll talk about uh, Sutton and Lovins with Patrick, because I think Patrick would love to engage in that conversation. But um, two things, God is separate and unique from creation. And then let's just park it and spend just a little bit of time on the recurring spirit of the first deception. And my question to you is that first deception, can we tie in their transhumanism? Right. Absolutely. We okay. Can. So, so go ahead. Explain. God is a separate and unique from creation. And then let's jump straight yep. into the the uh, spirit of the first deception. Sure. You know, I I think one of the things that I, I, I keep saying I think you it's know true. We know. Yeah, we, we know. know. <laughs> <laughs> I do that all the time. I think. No, wait. I know. <laughs> you know listen, because God is not the same as creation. The only way that we as humans can know who this creator is, is if he reveals himself to us. Yeah. Otherwise, we have no comparative points to work with. All we have is the natural world. So he has to step in and proclaim himself. And, and of course, that's the biblical story. That is the biblical story from beginning to end. God proclaiming himself to us. God demonstrating himself to us, demonstrating his love to us, and all that goes with it. I love Isaiah chapter 40. There's a section in Isaiah 40 that I've gone to over and over again. He, God, God is being compared to, to, to nature, but he holds it in his hands. He's being compared to the strength of the nations, and they're nothing like a drop in the bucket. That's yeah. how it's being described. Uh, he's being compared in all these different ways, and, and the bottom line is, you can't compare him. He is beyond compare. He is not the same as creation. And so this, to me, has become such a fundamental part of helping myself become grounded now in looking for a response to the dominant worldview of oneness. It, it, it boggles me that just even from a philosophical perspective, the very fact that there is a worldview that cannot be subsumed into oneness, cannot be twisted into oneness, has literally a completely antithetical position and can never transform itself and to become one mm -hmm. demonstrates that at the root of oneness, there's a fallacy. Yeah. A serious philosophical fallacy. But I mean, it's, it is God having to reveal himself to us. And when we recognize that, it should cause something that we don't like to be, we don't like to talk about. We, we, it, we want to describe it as being reverent. Mm -hmm. No, it's more than reverence. It's fear. Yeah. We don't fear God. Yeah, no, we don't. But when we recognize his distinct character, his uniqueness, his potency, his power, I mean, my goodness, he's holding the tides in place. He holds my heartbeat in place. Um, the beginning of wisdom is when you fear him. Amen. 
Yeah. And that, and that is not, and it's, it's so hard for me to wrestle with what does that look like? Because God is not the same as creation. So I'll give you a, a really lousy example. Um, the ocean. I love going to the ocean. I live out in the prairies. I live out in the middle of farming country. Yeah. So getting, going to the ocean for me is a highlight. Yeah. And I, um, I live right by the ocean. So I know <laughs> I'm <am> jealous. <laughs> yeah. Right. Rub it in, rub it in. I live right by the ocean. <laughs> you know, I've always been drawn. The first time I ever spent time in the ocean, I was 18 years old. I'd quit high school uh, the year before. And my parents and I, we, we got in the car and we did a road trip. We ended up in Oregon. And I remember the, the day my class was graduating and I wasn't there, oh, I, was, <laughs> I was playing in the ocean and I was just yeah. in love. It was amazing. And ever since then, if I'm even close within driving distance, I, I've got to go. Yeah. I've got to go and dip my toe in. It's awesome. I love it. Yeah. So I love it. And it completely scares the dickens out of me. Yeah. Because I know that if I am reckless, then if I don't heed the power that's there and I swim out, 200 meters 300 meters carl was fish food yeah carl is dead yeah it's beautiful and it is the most terrifyingly most powerful force we have on this planet it looks still and it looks calm and peaceful when it is calm and peaceful but it is still the most powerful natural force we have on this planet my daughter i remember taking her uh to the coast and uh, we were we were in Florida, um, and she went down to the beach with me, and she just looked out, and she just said, Daddy, I feel so small. I said, you are <laughs> you so are. small. Yeah, that is Hello. so true. Yeah. Me, me too. So this is as close as I can get to that analogy of fearing yeah. and at the same time loving. Is this a good analogy? No, it sucks because our God is bigger than the ocean. Yeah. He's the one that puts us in place. My analogy is flawed because all I have is the natural world to look sure. at in, in, you know, to try to bring a sense of what it means to both have fear and to love. Yeah. But we've missed that. So we've missed this sense of fear of God. And because we've missed this, um, we will uh, do what we shouldn't do. We bend our knee to what is created. Yeah, and I'm so, saying we in the Christian church, we're yeah. doing this too. Yeah, no, I agree. You know what? There, I have. We go to the beach just about every weekend. We almost go multiple times a week. And it never gets old as I'm driving up um, either Golden West or Beach or one of those streets as you drive up and you see the vast, um, you know, expanse of the ocean. You're in... For me, I'm always in awe of coming up to that. It never, ever, ever gets old. Just the other day, we were driving down Pacific Coast Highway on our way to Seal Beach, and it was so clear, and it's mm. rare that you get this. It was so clear that as I'm driving down, uh, I think it was Golden West, it looked like we could literally take a bridge and drive into Catalina Island. That's how clear it was. So when I made a ride on PCH... <laughs> I had my wife take, you know, take a picture and, uh, and I have it, I'll have to post it sometime, but it is gorgeous. And it does, you get this sense of awe when you're standing there in the ocean. And to think that, let me read real quick. You, you quoted, you said Isaiah 40 mm -hmm. and Isaiah 40, 12 says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? To think about how big God is, and that's the God yes. we serve, and he right. allowed us 
to be a part of this. He came down in the form of 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 man, right? In 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 the the God man, Jesus Christ, to live among us. And then he died on the cross because he loved us so much. He died on right. that cross. I mean, to think about did, that. And then he did what we couldn't do. He defeated death. That's right. That's right. Which, ironically, the transhuman community is trying to defeat death. Yep. It doesn't work. In fact, yeah. going to the transhuman question really quick, because it fits yeah. with what you just described. I spent time at the, the at the Global Futures 2045 Congress back in 2013 with some of the leading voices in transhumanism. I was doing interviews with some of them and, and just taking in what was happening. Uh, I had one individual, I'm not going to mention his name because it was off the record. What he said, though, was profound. He says he'd been working for transhumanism. He'd been working for this sense of immortality for the last 30 years of his life. And he says, I am truly, truly, I am not one day closer. Oh. How, yeah, how defeating Ouch. is that, right? I know. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Um, I spent some time with James Martin at the, the Global Futures uh, Congress. James Martin was the largest benefactor to Oxford University. Uh, he literally wrote the book on computer networking in the 1980s. Uh, at that time, when I met him, he was, he was an elderly man, uh, but he firmly believed in, in having a, a form of transhuman salvation. Uh, I, I interviewed him, spent some time with him. Uh, he's from England originally, and uh, he found out I was, because we just had some small talk as we were walking from, uh, from where our interviews were taking place back to the conference center. And uh, he was just getting to know each other and he found out I was from a farm and he goes, I'm from the farm too. And we all of a sudden had this really cool little connection. Yeah. And so he, he invited me out for, for lunch and I couldn't, I couldn't go because I had other commitments lined up, but all of a sudden there was like, wow. All right. We've got this little, little human connection, ironically, yeah. Yeah. as we're trying to become more than human, you know? <laughs> um, and then I received an email about eight or 10 days later that a sea kayaker had found his body oh, wow. uh, floating not far from from his Caribbean home and it just it just sunk yeah it just oh here's a man who was searching after a technological solution to his problem of death my savior already defeated death amen amen Amen. He sure did. And you know what? Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to piggyback exactly what you just said. So I know there's a lot of you guys that don't write me in, please, about Billy Graham. Uh, Billy Graham did good work. I know that he unfortunately compromised a lot, okay, in the mm -hmm. quest to go international in the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. I've read books. Trust me, I know this. But, but Billy Graham preached the gospel for many, many decades, and whether that gospel and that seed fell on good soil, only the Lord knows, okay? Because mm -hmm. Billy Graham um, will have to give account for what Billy Graham did. Only God knows his heart, and I'm going to just leave it at that, okay? He's gone mm -hmm. now. But I'll say this. In his autobiography, and I think I have it right back here or in my, my bookshelf over there, but he talks about how, um, you know, he was the pastor of many administrations, and during the JFK administration, there was one point where he had just come back from a lot of crusades overseas, and he was sick. He had the flu. He was running a temperature. And JFK asked him, he said, I have some questions. I need to talk to you. And Billy Graham said, you know, I'm just feeling so sick. I'm as sick as a dog. Um, 
But yes, let's have that conversation another time once I'm feeling better. Well, guess what? Many of you know, I believe it was 62. Was it 62, I think? Where JFK was shot and assassinated. And Billy Graham never got a chance to go back and talk to him. And he's, he says in his book, I wonder if, I wonder if he had questions about his eternity. I wonder if he had questions about the Lord. And so, um, right, we should never pass up opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ because we just don't know. We don't know. And um, I, I'm sorry I, I jumped in, but I thought it was very no, apropos, good. very apropos. You know. You're right. We, we need to take advantage of those opportunities when they arise. And I'll be honest, there's been way too many times I've, I've shirked that responsibility. I've not, been a, I've not been a good ambassador. Yeah, I know that. Yeah. Um, me too. I have to look in the mirror and, and say, shame on me, Carl. Yeah. Well, yeah, tell you what, get that. listen, I'm going to, we're going to leave the transhuman section because I'm not going to rush this. We're almost out of time. And I want to take just a handful of questions. Uh, I want to respect Carl's time and you've been more than gracious with your time. So I'm going to pose a, a cliffhanger, a teaser of sorts for us in the, you know, for people to just chew on for the next couple months before um, Patrick, you and I hop on and do a, a three-way. Off the record, I asked you what you thought of us as believers being transhuman as well, right? Okay, and you 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 agreed, didn't you? So mm -hmm. I'm I'm gonna leave it at that, okay, folks. Mm -hmm. yep. Are here's the question: Are we as Christians? transhuman as well. I'm going to leave it there. We will answer that question. And we're going to have Patrick, who Patrick is is a brilliant mind too. I love Patrick. Great great guy. And so it's going to be great to have so I'm going to be I'm going to be sandwiched in the middle. It's going to be Carl's going to be here, Patrick's going to be here. It's going to be a great time. But um so tell you what, if everybody wants to just start formulating your questions, send them in real quick. Put your questions in all capital letters. I'm looking at the feed right now. We'll take a handful of questions, but I'm only going to ask you, let's stick to the subject here that we talked about because I want to make sure that we keep it apropos to what um, Carl and I addressed right now. And if nobody has questions, hey, that's totally fine. We went long, which is fine. But uh, Lisa D is showing the format right there on the feed. Um, thanks again to Lisa D. So Carl, Lisa D and Ruthie are the moderators and they are top notch. I wouldn't be able to do this. They, they are so good at, you know, at moderating everything. Oh, here. Excellent. They're, yeah, they're fabulous. So thank you again to Ruthie and Lisa D. Thank you guys so very, very, very much. And we did have, uh, I, in the very beginning, I forgot to say Queensland, Australia was in the house too. So we got oh, cool. Yeah, all the way down under. So um let me see. I'm just gonna wait a little longer to see if anybody wants to to so here's the thing. So, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, can cause cause we entered it in a way uh when we're when we're looking at our own responsibility, in a sense, sometimes it's a bit of a downer as we recognize our own failings. Yes. I think one of the important Again, I use that word think. No, I know. <laughs> one, of the, <laughs> one of the important tools as we understand, I know, isn't that crazy? As we understand oneness versus twoism, is then how to use that to launch into conversations about the gospel. And I have 
seen this play out at, at diff, on different occasions. Uh, whether I've attended some, I've had this, these conversations at the Parliament of World Religions. I've had a conversation at a, a very large witchcraft event. Uh, and when I go to Burning Man, um, we use this tool constantly at Burning Man, where we are juxtaposing oneism versus twoism. Yeah. And people don't even think that there is an op option to oneism. I mean, they've either accepted it intuitively or they've embraced it already philosophically and all of a sudden you're offering a completely different paradigm it's really opened up some fantastic some fantastic conversations as simple as yeah. that may be is reality one or is it two and they might scratch their head and then you have to explain what oneism is and they're going yeah of course nature is divine and, and i'm divine of course well what happens if i tell you that there's actually an opposite not a dualism, right. but a complete opposite yeah. paradigm to what you're just ascribing. So an antithetical it's, paradigm. Bingo. It's called twoism. Yeah. Man, we've had fantastic conversations with that. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? That's something that maybe we might want to explore also with Pat is, you know, dive, do a deep dive into that. We didn't even get to talk about uh, the divine identity theft, which I really, really want to get to. So we have plenty of material um, to talk about with Pat, you know, Patrick Wood is amazing. And for those of you guys that don't know, he heads up technocracy.news. And I highly recommend everybody going and checking out technocracy.news. Okay, so we got the questions coming in. Um, let's see, Kat wrote one in. So I'll get to Kat's question in a minute. It's about Burning Man. Uh, there was another one. Hang on real quick. Let me scroll through this. Where was I just oh question okay sorry um let's see Matt Alger uh Alger I'm sorry if I said your name wrong sorry I don't know what the subject was I remember Carl from Belly of the Beast documentary by the Fall Brothers by the way have you heard from them I haven't I hadn't been heard from them from a long time so I need to reach out and see uh what's happening in the world because i don't know okay i haven't heard anything probably since before covid actually okay so belly of the beast documentary was that yours your documentary I was, or? no i was a guest in it okay okay very cool so hope that hope that helped matt um let me go to cat's question now um let me get over there question cat wanted to know are they still pursuing the burning man events Oh, yes, absolutely. And and they had the first live one uh, this year, just a few weeks back. Um, the last week of August, first week of, Sept of September, that, that time frame between those, those weekends. Uh, 2021 and 2020, they were virtual events, and I attended those. It was in goggle, uh, VR. And then before that, obviously, it was, it was the full show still. So you went in um, person, didn't you? Yeah, I go in person. Yes. So, okay, so yeah. what what is the whole premise of the Burning Man? If you don't mind, if you give us a quick Cliff Notes version of what Burning Man's all about. Seriously, quick. Uh, this is like a three-hour conversation. <laughs> is, 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 that, <laughs> no, is, that, is that kind of so, like I think versus I know, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so okay, so, so if if you were to just quickly, what what is the whole point of Burning Man? The point, well, okay, even that is a tricky question because <laughs> because the organizers, the organizers and the founders, including Larry Harvey, will say there's really no point. The point is what you make of it. Uh -huh. And so it's a blank canvas. It's a blank canvas where you come to live out a new reality. Uh -huh. You experience a sense of communal transformation. Um, and then the, the reason it's called Burning Man is because of the in the middle of the city, and it's a city that arises out of the out of 
well, actually ironically kind of out of just out of the dust yeah uh it happens on a um a dry lake bed uh, known as, it, it's, it's the black rock desert um and so you have a city of eighty thousand people that just kind just of do whatever can, you know yeah you come together they have a, a massive human effigy in the middle um and they burn the effigy at the end of the week hence the name burning man yeah. which has a, a symbolic reference to birth death rebirth uh there are temples a lot of temples uh, a lot of sacred places there's a main temple but there are a number of other ones too so evil uh, Is and, it, it's and, evil? and people are coming people are coming to find themselves so many people are coming just to find themselves to find some sense of 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 who they might be we've run into every kind of person imaginable in terms of of what you're going to encounter yeah it's clo it's clothing optional oh wow it's highly it's highly sexual it's okay. highly sensual okay. okay yeah and it's there are elements of it that are very spiritual elements that are very just humanistic secular um we've we have ran into the most amazing people there people who uh, oppose strongly oppose Christianity. People who want to have conversations, and here's what we do: we set up a, a camp, and our, our little team sets up a sign, and the sign says, and the, the sign is built off of Acts 17, oh, cool. and the sign is entitled "Camp of the Unknown God." Okay, and then that brings conversations to us as yeah. people walk by and literally have shouted out, "Who is this unknown God?" Yeah. And well, so, hey, here's some here's some Gatorade. Sit down underneath the shade. Let's, let's, let's have a talk to you. So you guys can't yeah. technically get up and go. See, I love these little pads right here. I want to tell everybody about Jesus Christ. <laughs> right? You can't. <laughs> you know, we we had a. I realize this is um, maybe I'm breaking into some of your your Q and A time. No, here. go for it. Uh, go sorry. for it. In 2019, we had a young man who joined us later in the week. He was a, he did street preaching in San Diego, and he was thinking maybe he could use that same approach at Burning Man. And one of the reasons why you go, if you're interested in trying to reach out to this culture, is, is to try to see, okay, what actually works, what doesn't work. And he realized really quickly, as he's street, street preaching in San Diego, the people in San Diego that are walking by him are engaged in the mundane world. Okay. They're going to the grocery store. They're going to school coming back from work they're dropping the kids off whatever it's the mundane world burning man is the exact opposite it's not the mundane world it is the world of re-enchantment it really is a re-enchanted kind of culture that's the purpose of it you're feeling transformed so much of it is on feelings and so taylor realized that the same approach does not work uh, and it might to some extent i guess maybe yeah. if you would play with it in different ways but the approach we found was just opening up conversations and using our camp name as that leverage point. Yeah. The unknown God. Yeah. And I'm sure that if one person out of all those people come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, it was well worth it. It was well oh, totally. worth it. One person. And, and, and even if none, yeah. that we still go because we understand we have a responsibility to go. Sure. Absolutely. No, I, I get you. See, yeah. Those, and, and everybody has a ministry. Everybody has a calling. We all, as believers in the body of Jesus Christ, we each have our calling, our giftings, and we'll use those accordingly, right? right. Um, let me see if there's any other, because we've gone over, and I think I want to do some housekeeping really quick. So um, I'll tell you what, uh, I don't want to just keep skipping through here, but um, we will save those for the flip side, when we go on with Patrick when, and you, um, and I'll set off the record 
I'll set a date with you and Patrick that works together and we can do it then. But let me just do a little housekeeping and then we'll come back, Carl. And um, I want to promote your book as well. First off, folks, uh, I did this on purpose so that we could give Carl as much time as we possibly can. So let me get through this quickly and uh, we'll come back to you real quick, Carl. And we'll give just a, a few more minutes and then we'll let you go. All right. So, uh, okay, most of you know, and I've seen the website on the feed as well, Serpents and Doves website. That is my site. All of these podcasts are housed there as well as um, some goods that you can get. If you feel led to support the ministry, and I can tell you it helps a whole lot. I am off PayPal. I've said that numerous times. I'm going to keep saying it. Uh, if you click on the donate page, there are three ways, three methods you could do that. It's pretty self-explanatory. And again, I can't thank you for those that have and for those that are considering helping the ministry out. Enough of that. This is the book that I was talking about. Uh, Carl, this is your book. It is 500 plus pages of, um, oh, there it is, 570 pages. Let me scroll down right there. 1,800 footnotes, Carl, my land. Seriously, 1,800 footnotes. That, how long did you take to research? What was it, four four years? Yeah, that was what it took to write it. Uh, it's, I mean, this is the wow. accumulation of almost, I hate to say this, wow, almost 30 years of research. Wow. That's I've a lot. I've been doing this full-time. I've been doing this full-time since 97. But wow. before that, I was doing it already, well, golly, I guess 92, 93, somewhere in that neighborhood. Look, folks, it's it's a big book. It's a it's a really good book. and And, you know, it's intimidating. I realize the size is intimidating. If you don't, you read it. it, it it's great to yeah. put as you know underneath your table if you need some leveling. No, or... no, no. It's a good book. <laughs> and, and no, you know but, what? The greatest thing is like what you said. You don't have to read it in chronological no, order, and right. that's that's huge. That's a big seller for me too because I do a lot of spot reading. I've got a lot of books. Trust me, there's books yep. everywhere, and I do a lot of spot reading. So the fact that I don't have to actually chronologically read it is great. And you did a really, really, yep. really good job. Go ahead. As you well, talk, you, go for it. I, I, no, that's fine. I was just going to say, I mean, the 1800 footnotes, I, I put that in there. And at the end of the writing of the book, I actually had counted all the footnotes like a nerd. And I realized <laughs> I was at 18, 1801. And I went and I said to my wife, Leanne, I'm like, no way. No, that, that isn't good. <laughs> I, I had to find the one footnote to take out. That is but, great. But I mean, it's, it may seem intimidating, but there's a reason. Something like this, this subject, we talk about it so often in almost... Uh, speculative terms. Okay. Yeah. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to nail this. I wanted it to become a reference. Even if you weren't going to read it end to end, it's a reference. And it's documented using first source materials that if you want to take the time to hunt down, a lot of it you can. Yeah. Um, so that in essence, it is a massive legal document. It's a legal piece of work demonstrating that this is actually a factual. Uh, not a conspiracy, a factual issue. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a really good book. I highly recommend it. Again, if you go to the website, uh, Carl's done a great job. The website's great. You could buy it right here on Amazon. I believe I put the link in the description, and I'm not sure if Lisa or Ruthie put the the um, uh, the URL there, the link in the the live chat. It might be. It might not. No big deal. Um, the other website, so this is uh, gameofgods.ca. Again, the link is below. Um, your other site, Carl, is Forcing Change, correct? That's correct. Okay. I, I, 
I operated a magazine. It was like an intelligence style magazine that went from night, pardon me, um, went for nine years, started to think in 2007. Um, and forcing change looked to document those forces of change, intellectual, philosophical, religious, political, cultural forces of change. And so every month I put out a, a significant report on a certain subject or a series of subjects. So Forcing Change is an open site. All you have to do is sign up with, with an email and you can download all nine volumes. I mean, it's well over 100, 100 issues. You can download them all for free. They're all in PDF. Okay. So just avail yourself of, of the material that's there. There's yeah. lots of articles and other reports. You know, data mine the site. Yeah, absolutely. It's great. So Lisa told me that the link is too long to put up. Oh, no, there it is right there. Very cool. Thank you so much. Uh, ladies. Also, um, I know I mentioned Patrick Woods. Uh, Patrick Wood. Is it Woods or Wood? Wood. 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 Sorry, yep. uh, Isabel. It's no S. Um, but this is the website that he runs here. It's called technocracy.news. I'm also going to go ahead and promote this when Carl, Patrick, and myself, we do one. It's a fabulous website. Highly recommend it. Um, I did put the link in there for anybody that might want it. So um, last thing I'm going to tell people, and then we will go to the best part of this entire podcast, the gospel cards, ladies and gentlemen, if you guys want these, um, I will send you 25 cards for free on my dime. I always offer these because I love the fact that the gospel of Jesus Christ is getting out. And so the way to do this, if you guys want this, is if you go to the Serpents and Doves website, let me get over there real quick for everybody. If you go over here to the website and you click on the connect page, the connect tab at the top, just fill this out. Name, email, subject is gospel cards and the message. Uh, send us your mailing address. That way we know exactly how, uh, where, where they're going to go. And if you guys want more than 25, again, as I always say, if you wouldn't mind, just consider a donation to help offset the cost of printing, of mailing, and of the materials. However, listen to what I'm going to say. I don't want finances to ever be a, uh, a a reason why the gospel doesn't get out. If you still want more and you just you can't do that, please tell me anyways. I don't care. I'll send them out to you anyways. Okay. So don't let that stop you. If you want more than 25, just hit us, hit me up. And my beautiful wife is the one that helps me do this. I wouldn't be able to do this without her. Shout out to Ruthie as well. Ruthie is helping me tremendously on the social media front. Everybody give her a thumbs up and both of, as I've said, Ruthie and Lisa D. So um, let me get, uh, oh, I don't know, we're, we're back on. I'm staring at my website here, but we're actually on side by side. So Carl, um, last thing, you and I have that hope of Jesus Christ. And um, I would love you to tell people for those that might watch this six months from now, a year from now, in maybe a moment of loneliness or desperation, or they're at a place where they, they don't know, they see this hope, the laughter, the joy that we have amidst chaotic situations, and they go, what does Carl have? What does Pablo have? And how do they get that? Wouldn't you explain that to them? Absolutely. Pablo, I mean, it's, it's grounded in the fact that we know our redemption is secure. We know that my transgressions have been paid for in full that, and that I can't pay it. It's impossible for me to pay it. You know, I was, as a young Christian, I really struggled with 
Why death? Why was death the consequence for Adam and Eve's sin against God? What struck me later in life was God is the author of life. Mm -hmm. And if God is the author of life, if we turn our back on him, the natural consequences is death. Amen. And that had to be remedied. That had to be fixed. And we, broken vessels, couldn't fix it. We broke it that way. It requires God himself to enter in, to feel our pain, to feel our suffering, to suffer himself in ways that we can't even imagine, and to take that sin upon himself. And in doing so, defeating death. And so our hope is in the fact we have a living Savior. You know, it's not about what I feel. I, whether I feel good or whether I feel bad does not change the character of God. It does not change the reality of God. I can have a really lousy day. I can have a really lousy year. Uh, bottom line is the question, who do I trust? Amen. Myself or do I trust my Redeemer? Amen. Amen. And we want to encourage you to call out on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the only way um, to get salvation. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. There are no other means of salvation except through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Your good deeds, the Bible says, are as filthy rags. And that word filthy rags is a very, very uh, graphic picture of what, our best deeds might be. I think, Carl, you said it. I don't remember if off the record or on, but I agree. The road to hell is paved with good intentions and good people. Bottom line. And so I yep. want to encourage you if it, to, to call out to the Lord. Isaiah 55, 6 says this, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Why? Because there's going to come a time and period very, very quickly that it's going to be hell on earth. And Carl, nor I, nor anybody that's uh, on the, li uh, on the uh, live stream know how bad it's going to get. We don't want anyone to be there. And so, guys, um, I, I pray that this was encouraging to everybody. Now, Carl, before we go, uh, last question. I missed this one, and so give me just two more minutes. Question, the first half for the tribulation will be a false religious deception. Uh, Kim of Life Clips Podcast wants to know, would love to know if Carl feels the same way I do regarding this, which needs to be talked about more, especially from the pulpits, the fact that the first half of the tribulation will have a massive false religious deception. What's your what's your view on that? Yes, I think that, and, okay. I look at, at the end of history in this very similar manner as I look at the beginning of history in terms of our fall. I, I believe that you will see the fall of man being played out in a way that is global. And yeah. we see that during this, that period of time, this means that the false system, I think will absolutely be in play at that point, but it's already in play. The pieces are re already being set. Yeah. And so when that occurs, I think it's going to be a natural evolution from one form of, of falseness to something that is now established yeah it, it is now truth the law the law of the land technically 
Big sure. bingo. Yeah. Bingo. Yeah. Okay, folks, listen, that is it. This is a wrap. I hope you guys were blessed, challenged, encouraged, and I always get that order all mixed up. I, I never have the right way of saying that, but blessed, challenged, encouraged. Uh, we loved having you guys on. Um, Carl, thank you so much for your time. It was a huge, huge blessing. And uh, guys, I know you could hear probably my dog barking in the background. So with that, um, don't forget, remember to keep looking up our redemption draws near Carl. Thank you so much, everybody out there. God bless you guys. Remember to lift each other up in prayer. Thank you, Lisa and Ruthie, for doing a fabulous job. God bless you guys. See you guys Wednesday night with Pete Garcia. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you guys. See ya.